How do we stay on track? It's interesting, as I was thinking about the Bible, how often God brings his people to impossible situations. Situations that only he could get them out of. It happens again and again and again. And that's what we've been doing in this series on how do we get here is we're heading now towards the cross, which is the Easter season. It's the season of Lent, and we're, we're moving towards the cross. At the end of this sermon, I'm going to ask you to do something that final week before Easter. So just prepare yourself for that. But as we move towards the cross, and as I, I decided I'm going to pick up the pace and, and kind of accelerate a little bit, and we're flying real fast through the Old Testament, the story of God working through his people to accomplish his plan and his purposes, what we find is he keeps bringing them to impossible situations, right? He finds this old man, this old woman, and says, guess what? You're going to be the father of a great multitude. And they're like, we're old. We're shriveled up. I, you know, my ovaries are dry. You know, he's not, you know, all this stuff. And, and, and God's like, look, I can work through impossible situations. Last week, we talked about the Passover. It's the final plague against Egypt, the Egyptians, where God finally delivers them out of slavery towards freedom. And the defining moment was the Passover, the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, painting blood over their door frames. The, the judgment comes, it passes over every house upon whom trusted, who trusted God's word and God's provision. And, and after that, Pharaoh's like, get lost, get out, and they're gone. And God brings them into impossible situations in their journey towards the promised land, the land he promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so I was like, man, how am I going to summarize, you know, from Exodus right until here we are in the end of the book of Joshua? How am I going to summarize that? Well, thankfully, Joshua 24 gives me that summary. And in Joshua 24 is Joshua, who is the, the follower of Moses. He's kind of Moses' right-hand man who took over the, the mantle of leadership from Moses. As he is an old man and now speaking to the Israelites at the time in the promised land, he has this final speech, and, and he, he recounts the history of his people, of their people, of, of them. He recounts the impossible situations, and he gives us four R's today. We're gonna, if you're a note taker, there'll be four R's. He's going to talk about remembering. He's going to talk about responding, recognizing, and resolving. He's like, you know, there's four R's that will kind of ground the, the text of Joshua 24 as we consider how do we stay on track. Because in every generation, we will encounter difficulties and challenges to our faith. And either that draws us closer to, to God in faith, or we will be tempted to follow or place our trust in other things. The biblical term for that is idols. Uh, Tim Keller would call them counterfeit gods. We are always tempted to put our trust in other things, other places, other sources of hope, strength, security, meaning. But the Bible and reminds us to return and bring our trust and our hope and our faith in God and in God alone. That's what we find here in Joshua chapter 24. So the Israelites have come to the promised land. They've conquered the promised land. Uh, they've, they've achieved what God has promised for them, at least in, in a broad scope, but some places didn't. But, but here it is. And, and there's, there's ethical issues with the book of Joshua for some people because it's, it's, a, it's a brutal and a bloody book. And, and I'm not going to deal with that today because that's not the scope of this. But here in Joshua 24, Joshua brings all the people together. He's an old man, and he's just reminded them of, of what is important. And he tells them to remember 
all that God has done. Joshua 24, verse 1, and just, you can follow along. Maybe you have your own Bible, or you could just, it'll be on the screen as well. Remember all that God has done. He says, Joshua 24, verse 1. Joshua assembled all the Israelite tribes at Shechem. Now, just stop there. Shechem is the place when God told Abram, Abram, who became Abraham later, to go to this land and I will show you. And, and Abraham arrives there and it says the Lord appeared to him at Shechem. That's the place where God first appeared to Abraham. And, and Abraham built an altar there. So here's Joshua gathering the people together at Shechem. It's significant because God told Abraham centuries before, I will give your descendants this land. And here's Joshua with all of Abraham's descendants saying, look, we are experiencing the very promises of God right here and now. Shechem. He summoned Israel's elders, rulers, judges, and leaders, and they appeared before God. Joshua told all the people, here is what the Lord God of Israel says. In the distant past, your ancestors lived beyond the Euphrates River, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor. They worshiped other gods, but I took your father Abraham from beyond the Euphrates and brought him into the entire land of Canaan, I made his descendants numerous. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I signed Mount Seir, while Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. I sent Moses and Aaron, and I struck down Egypt, and I struck down Egypt down when I intervened in their land. Then I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you arrived at the sea. The Egyptians chased your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. You know, one of those impossible situations, right? bunch of slaves. Pharaoh lets them go, and then as, they're, as they've just left, and you can see the dust kind of heading into the horizon, Pharaoh says, wait a second, what am I doing? Let's go get them. And so he's heading towards them, and, and God leads them right to the sea. He could have led them a different route where they didn't run into water, but he leads them right to an impossible situation. And he's recounting that for them. Your fathers cried out for help, verse 7, to the Lord. He made the area between you and the Egyptians dark and then drowned them in the sea. You witnessed with your very own eyes what I did in Egypt. You lived in the wilderness for a long time. Now he's encapsulating a, a significant portion of the Old Testament. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. That, that, those last four are this history. You lived in the wilderness a long time. Why were they in the wilderness? Because when they got to the promised land, they sent in 12 spies and 10 of them came back and said, we can't do this. Two of them said, we can do this. God said, we can do this. Let's do it. The other ten said, no, no, it's impossible. We seem like grasshoppers in the midst of these giants. They're like, they're all NBA size. You know, they're huge, you know, and, and we're tiny and, and we're slaves and we can't do this. And, and, and two guys said, no, we can't do this. One of those guys was Joshua. Because of their lack of faith, God sends them in the wilderness. Every one of the adults that lacked faith, dies in the wilderness. The whole new generation is raised up. So we got a bunch of young people here with Joshua and with Caleb now preparing to move, preparing, you know, taking possession of the land and having taken possession of it. Here they are. They buried their grandpas and their fathers and their mothers in the wilderness. Why? Because they didn't have faith. Verse, four, verse 8. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived east of the Jordan. They fought with you, but I handed them over to you. You conquered their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, launched an attack against Israel. He summoned Balaam, son of Beor, to call down judgment on you. I refused to respond to Balaam. He kept prophesying good things about you, and I rescued you from his power. You crossed the Jordan. Again, another impossible situation. 
They figure it was high water time. The Jordan could have been as, as big as a mile wide and all this water. And suddenly the water stopped flowing and the, the riverbank was wide open and everyone just crossed over. Shunk. Impossible situations for us. Not impossible for God. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The leaders of Jericho, as well as the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, Jebusites, all these sites, fought with you, but I handed them over to you. I sent terror ahead of you. Or maybe your translation says in verse 12, the hornet. And you're like, what is the hornet? One person has described it as the panic-producing power of God. We see this in the story of of Rahab, who's this prostitute that lives in Jericho. Jericho is the impenetrable city. It's the very first city the, the, the Israelites encounter as they cross the river, and God's like, okay, now conquer that city. It's like, impossible. Huge walls, you know, stores of, of, of resources. I mean, it could be a long, you know, heart, you know, siege, and, and even then would they be successful? Like, this is impossible. And God's like, exactly. You can't do this but I can't do this. And so the spies come into Jericho. They're, they're searching around. People see these strangers come in there. They end up in this house of Rahab, who is a prostitute, but she has faith. <laughs> Listen to what she says. I love this. She said, she's got these spies on her roof, and she comes up, and she's like, chapter 2, I know the Lord is handing this land over to you. We are absolutely terrified of you. And all who live in the land are cringing before you. For we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you left Egypt. And how you annihilated the two Amorite kings, Sion and Og, on the other side of the Jordan. When we heard the news, we lost our courage and no one could even breathe for fear of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above on earth below. So now promise me this oath sworn in the Lord's name. Because I have shown allegiance to you. Show allegiance to my family. Give me a solemn pledge that you will spare the lives. And so, so she's like, I believe in your God. Now, here's the thing. I was thinking about this, the Bible story. Anyone who turns to God in faith and in humility, he receives and forgives and restores and brings into his family. I have yet to find an example in the Bible of someone who turns to God in humility and he does not receive their prayer and welcome them and, and show mercy to them. I, I can't find that example. So you think we have an issue with the conquest because they're going in and they're destroying whole people. But, but God gives the people of Jericho seven days to repent. Every day they go around. Every day they go around. They're afraid. The hornet has gone ahead. The fear has paralyzed their heart. Who is this God? Who are these people? But there's one woman who's like, I believe in this God. Would you remember me? I will remember you. Hangs a little rope out of her window. The walls all fall down. Somehow her piece of the wall doesn't fall down. Her family is saved. Her family is incorporated into God's family. In fact, her name shows up in the very lineage of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. God always responds to those who come to him in humility and in repentance. Always. I've yet to find the example of where that isn't true. If you could find it, show it to me. But, but here's the good news is you're like, God's so harsh, God's so critical. No, God responds in mercy to those who humble themselves and seek him and earnestly, you know, seek his, his forgiveness and his mercy. He responds in mercy. Terror. I gave you the victory. It was not by your swords or bows. Verse 13, I gave you a land in which you had not worked hard. You took up residence in cities you did not build. You are eating the produce of vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. 
unlike some of our ancestors in Canada who came to bare bush, bare land, bare fields and built houses and built barns and cleared land and planted crops and raised you know, animals. I mean, I mean that, that's the history of our country is, is people coming and, and settling and pioneering. And No, no, they didn't have to pioneer anything. The, the vineyard was there. The olive grove was there. The house was there. The city was there. There it is. God just says, I gave it to you. Here's the problem. You have been taught that everything you have, you got it. Fair and square. And you did work hard to get what you got. But don't ever forget that behind your hard work is a God who loves and cares for you and blesses you and looks after you. That even though you don't visibly see it always, he is behind that job, that crop, that house, that car. The things that God has given you are his gifts to you. Don't ever forget it. Remember all that God has done. He's trying to put this context. It's when we forget what God has done that we get ourselves in trouble. The whole the whole religious culture of, of the Israelites was to just continually remind them of everything God had done. They had these feasts that they were supposed to celebrate every year, and those feasts would grind, would ground them in their history as God's people and of God's care for them, right? They had this, this feast of the booths. They'd set up these little tents, and, and they still do this in Israel. They'll sleep on their balconies or out in the backyard in these little tents. It's, you know, kind of like camping, but it's a reminder of how God carried the ancestors through the wilderness and how they tented in the wilderness. And it's like, yeah, we, God carried us and God is still carrying us. They were supposed to celebrate the Passover every year to remind us that, yeah, God's, the judgment passed over us and, and God showed mercy because we, we trusted in his substitute. And we today, we last week celebrated communion. Why? Because we remember the fact that we are part of God's family because Christ died for us on the cross. Remember everything God has done. In the last book of the Bible, Jesus gives these seven messages to seven churches in Asia Minor. And he writes this church in, in Ephesus, which is like churches today. Very successful church, you know, the great ministries, a great you know, reputation. People knew what they were doing. They, they taught the word faithfully. They were just like an, an ideal church, the kind of church that every pastor would want to lead and, and you, people would want to be a part of. But Jesus says to them, there's one thing I have against you. You've lost your first love. You're doing all the right things, but you're missing it here. You know how it it happens in a marriage relationship too, right? You, you get into the routine of just doing things married couples do and, and you forget about the love and the commitment you had at one point for each other. Um, and you know that's why you celebrate anniversaries, young families. That's why you put your kids with grandma and grandpa and go on holidays together with all your kids once in a while because you need to reculture, you know, re, you know, re, 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 you know, reestablish that first love. And Jesus like, you've, you've forgotten your first love. And so they're like, well, what are we supposed to do? And what does Jesus say to them? He says, Remember, remember the height from which you've fallen and repent and return to me. Remember. And Joshua tells the Israelites here, remember who got you here and how you got here. You encountered impossible situation after impossible situation after impossible situation. You're in the, in the wilderness, 600,000 people at least 
No water? What's, you're all going to die. God brings water out of the rock. 600,000 people, there is not enough food in the desert to feed 600,000 people. God, every day, there is this wafer on the ground. They pick up enough for that day, go back, you know, eat for the day. Next morning, there it is again, manna on the ground. Every day, every day, every day, except Saturday, pick up twice because God's not bringing it out on Sunday. That's the Sabbath, you know. So, so you know, there they are, you know, it's a different week, of course. It was probably Friday and Saturday, but there you go. So, you know, but, but you know, there they are. God is impossible situation after impossible situation after impossible situation. Does it feel like we're in an impossible situation today? Not for him. Remember, everything you have comes from God. And now he brings them into the present tense here, verse 14. He says, to respond appropriately to the Lord. You remember, now you need to respond to, to, to that memory. What are you going to do with this truth? And he says in verse 14, now obey the Lord and worship him with integrity and loyalty. If you have your own Bible, you're probably looking at it and saying, my Bible doesn't say this. Maybe your Bible says, if you have the NASB, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and truth, or the ESV would say, therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. The New Living Translation would say, it's fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Now here's what, here's what I'm telling you. As a pastor, when I look at English translations and see that no one is consistent, I know that we're dealing with a difficult Hebrew text here. Not difficult in the sense of like we know what the words are, but, but the, the clear translation into English is not easy. Because the concepts are broad and, and, and they tie together differently. And so each translator team is trying to figure out how do we bring this out in the net. Course talks, you know, worship him. But, but the obey is, is the word fear. Fear the Lord and serve him or worship him. And in the Old Testament, the verb avad can mean serve and it can mean worship. It's almost interchangeable. To serve the Lord is to worship the Lord. To worship the Lord is to serve the Lord. It's not like I come and I sing, but then I go downstairs and I serve. No, you're, when you're serving, you're worshiping. When you're worshiping, you're serving. Those concepts are interrelated, interlocked, inseparable. He says, fear the Lord. He's, he's talking about our perspective, which moves into our practice. Our attitude, which becomes our actions, Right? He's, he's talking about the mindset, which becomes methodology. He's talking about orientation, which translates into occupation, right? Your, your general approach to life, and then how that comes out in, in practical action. It's conviction and conduct. It's, it's your bearing and your behavior. He says, your whole approach to life needs to reflect the fact that you recognize God's almighty power in your life and what he's done, his salvation, and then you live out it, it out accordingly. Somehow in the Christian history of the last half century, we, we, got, we kind of separated this, right? Just get saved. Just, just come into God's family, and then, and then it sort of was like just float a little bit. But there is a sense of, I reorient my life to Jesus Christ, and then I live it out accordingly. If Christ has your life, then that should not just impact what you do on Sundays, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And it begins to permeate through your language, your thoughts, how you spend your time, how you spend your money. It just it changes everything in your life. Respond to him. Worship the Lord. Obey the Lord and worship him in integrity and in loyalty. 
he describes those integrity and loyalty because he, he wants to bring out the, this, this qualitative, you know, it, it's a whole, it's your whole life. It's not like, I, 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 you know, I serve the Lord here, but then I do my own thing here. It's, it's, it's your whole life. In fact, the word loyalty can be translated truth. Let the truth of who God is and what he's done so permeate your action and your behavior and your approach to life that, that you're clearly aligned with him in every component of your life. This is not natural for you and me. It does take a determined decision, choice, reorientation of your life to get on this track. You will naturally serve yourself. You will naturally protect your own interests. <laughs> you will naturally want to, to you know, make yourself look good and, 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 and preserve your, your, your own honor and integrity instead of preserving God's honor. I mean, it, it, the sinful heart is, is a challenge to this, but, he, but Joshua was inviting them to say, you know what, just get God as number one. Respond appropriately to God for, for who he is. You notice the second part of this verse. Put Aside the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and worship the Lord. You can't do both. You all were serving something before you came to Christ. You oriented your life towards one or multiple other distractions and counterfeit gods and then you encountered Jesus Christ and you reoriented your life to him. But, but those, those gods are still there. They lurk in the shadows, calling for you to say, trust in me for your security. And you have to, to every day is, is a reminder, no, no, I'm serving Christ. He is my source of, of value, security, significance. I trust in him. He holds my future. I will just keep walking with him. But then, you know, the lure of money, the lure of power, the lure of sex, the lure of, you know, uh, so, you know someone, uh, you know, accepting you, whatever it is, you know, like all those things draw us away from God. He says, put aside those gods. It's like some of them had hidden in their tents, you know, some of those teraphim, those little, you know, household gods that they had, you know, just brought in, you know, oh, they're just, you know, souvenirs. They're, they're you know, parts of our heritage. And, 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 and Joshua was like, get rid of those things. Our culture is syncretistic. They're okay with you following Jesus as long as you allow everything else, you know, to keep going on in your life. But Jesus comes along and says, no, actually, I want it all. I want everything. And you've got to let go of the stuff that you had, that you were trusting in before in order to follow me. You can't mix me with other things. I won't, you know, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is like, I, I will not accept, you know, you worshiping me and then, and then having a little side God here, a little side God there, a little, little temple here, a little temple there. I, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's me or, or, or nothing. Put aside those gods. He says in verse 15, if you have no desire to worship the Lord, choose today whom you will worship, whether it be the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But I and my family will worship the Lord. Or as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Respond appropriately to the Lord. Christian families, you need to put your flag in the sand and make it clear that we serve God in this house. And anything that, that contradicts or, or, you know, comes, you know, in, in, to challenge the authority of God in this household, we, we're, we're, we're kicking it out of this house. There's certain TV shows we don't watch in this house. We turn them off. Certain music that we don't listen to. 
certain language around the table. We don't tolerate because we will serve the Lord. You sit with your kids and say, why don't we do what that family does? Why don't you let us do what they do? And you say, well, because we serve the Lord. It's different. You will be the oddball. Other parents will think, you are so antiquated and so stuck in the sand. Well, you know what? How, how dare? Because you are choosing to follow God first. You respond appropriately to him. And Joshua's leading by example. If your kids don't see it in your life, they're not going to practice it in their life. I'm just telling you. It doesn't happen. Don't expect your kids to get excited about Jesus if you're not excited about Jesus. It doesn't happen. But as you families make choices to honor God in your home and with your lives, it will flow into your children, into your grandchildren, and change your home. And hopefully change the neighborhood. Hopefully change the school and the places where you work. Hopefully there's a spillover effect of, of you know, God's grace and God's blessing as you live out his life in your family. I mean, Joshua and Caleb were the two guys that said, yeah, we can do this. They're the ones that survived the, the wilderness. And there they are, the only two old men in the whole group, you know, have conquered the, the promised land. Caleb is the one guy's like, give me the hardest land there, the, those hills, those, those impossible places. Let me take those guys out. The, the, the giants, I'm ready to go. You know, he's this old man. He's fighting giants in the hill country. Awesome. We serve the Lord. Spurgeon said, a man's own personal example is eloquent beyond the power of words. You see a guy that lived this out. He's not just talking. Everyone that looked at Joshua said, yeah, well, yeah, you, you are the one guy, one besides Caleb, that, that actually served the Lord and was consistent in his faith. Well, the people respond, verse 16. The people responded, far be it from us to abandon the Lord so we can worship other gods. For the Lord our God took us and our fathers out of slavery in the land of Egypt. He is our deliverer. He performed these awesome miracles before our very eyes. He's our wonder worker. He continually protected us as we traveled and when we passed through the nations. He is our protector. The Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. So we too will worship the Lord, for he is our God. He is our way maker. They're like, yeah, we, no, no, why would we serve any, anyone else? I mean, clearly no one else has delivered us, has done these wonders in our eyes, has protected us, has been a way maker. God is, is God, we will serve him. But then Joshua reminds them to recognize who you're dealing with. Verse 19, Joshua warned the people, you will not keep worshiping the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God who will not forgive your rebellion or your sins. There's two things about God you need to realize. He's holy. If you read through the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, and the book of Deuteronomy, you would see this idea of holiness. As they spent time in the wilderness, they established this thing called the tabernacle. It was their place of worship. And the tabernacle re-emphasized re again and again every piece of it, every component of the worship, how holy God is and how sinful the people were. To approach God required a blood sacrifice, death. A substitute was offered. The priests who mediated between the people and God were holy. The, the articles in the tabernacle were holy. The closer you got to God's the, the Ark of the Covenant was, was holy and unholier and the holiest of holies. God is a holy God. He's unapproachable. 
There's the sanctity about him. It's who is a central being. He is distinct from his creatures. The gods of the land of, of Egypt and the gods of the Amorites and the gods beyond the Euphrates were these wooden, silver, gold, platinum, whatever they were, lithium. I mean, who knows what they were, you know. They were different, different, you know. They're just made little things that shoved in, you know. Like, they, they were part of, of, of you know, pieces of, of things that you found in the created world that, that were fashioned into forms and they were worshipped. But, but this God is holy. He's not, you can't take anything from the created realm and make this God. He, he, is, he stands above the created realm. He is the perfection of beauty. He is absolute righteousness. Not one tiny scope of impurity is found in any of God's character. The cleanest of the clean. The purest of the pure. And he's this jealous God. Now we think of jealousy in, in, a, in a sinful way, but no, this is a jealous love. It is an exclusive love. God says, I'm, I'm making a relationship with you, and now we share this exclusive relationship. It's, it's, the, it's the kind of love that, that binds a husband and wife together. It's, it's a jealous love, right? A person that gets married, uh, a man, cuts off other women in his life that he previously knew in order to enter into an exclusive relationship with his wife. He doesn't text other women that his wife doesn't know. He doesn't get together with other women that his wife isn't part of. He makes a clear path to say, no, I'm not doing that. And, and women, likewise. You cut off the man, and now you relate to, to, uh, to men through uh, as a couple. This is where dangerous things happen. Because there's this jealous love. You are in an exclusive relationship now. You shouldn't have girlfriends if you're a guy, if you're married, that, that you hang out with, that you do stuff with it without your wife. That doesn't, that's not part of, of an of a exclusive loving relationship. And God says, look, I don't want you, you know, I, I want your wholehearted love. I demand that from you because I'm giving you that, that to you. I expect that in return. And that's, what a, that's how a marriage works. The movie starts with saying, no, no, there's such a thing as polyamory where you can be married but then have sex with whoever you feel like and, and, and do stuff with that. You know, it, you know, it doesn't matter. And, and that doesn't work. Look at the celebrities. How many of them have successful marriages? Very few. Why? Because they don't understand love. But God demonstrates love for us in this exclusive love he gives to us and then exclusive love he asks for in return. I'm a jealous God. If you move with me, you move with me alone. It's not wrong, young women, to expect your boyfriend to be exclusive to you. If he's not willing to be exclusive to you, he's not worth keeping. Kick him to the curb and find another one because it's not worth it. If he's like, oh, I want to, I want to, you know, text with so-and-so, I want to hang out with so-and-so, and you know, just, just let him go. He's not worth it. He needs to have eyes for you and you alone. <laughs> He needs to cut some contacts out of his phone list, <laughs> turn off some social media pages, I mean, because he's loving you now, and vice versa too, guys, we grow. God says, I love you, and I'm asking for that love in return, and, and that means I'm not sharing that love with anyone else. And he takes your rebellion seriously. You choose to cheat on God, he will hold you accountable. He says, finally, in verse 21 or 24, resolve to do what is right. The people said to Joshua, no, we will really worship the Lord. Joshua said to the people, do you agree to be witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to worship the Lord? They replied, we are witnesses, Joshua said. Now put aside the foreign gods that are among you and submit to the Lord God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we 
will worship the Lord and obey him. And guess what? That word obey him could literally be translated, we will hear his voice. We're going to listen to his voice. And here's where I'm closing. I think the danger of, of where we find ourselves today, how did we get here, is that we have so many voices coming into our, into, our, into, our, into our minds and into our ears across the screen and on the TV. We're just hearing all these, on the radio, all these messages. And so some of them were, were not true messages, especially during COVID. We, we heard a lot of lies. We heard a lot of assumptions. We heard a lot of hatred. We heard a lot of garbage, that's true. And then all these sites start popping up with independent news, and some of them were true, but some of them are now bringing you fear into your life. New fears, new issues, and, and, I, and I just see people moving from this to this to this to this, and so here's my challenge to you. Easter week, Passion Week. It starts on Palm Sunday and it ends on Easter Sunday. I'm inviting you to join me to turn off all noise. I'm not going to open up those emails from all those different places. I'm not going to watch the news on TV. I'm going to turn off my radio. I'm just not going to. I'm going to let God speak instead of some, someone you know, with a little $150 YouTube studio telling me what they think is happening in the world. Some latest political ramblings. And, and, and it, it, is, it is scary. I'm, you know, and, and it's consuming. But God, I think God wants to speak to us. But we can't hear him if we've got all this noise and chatter going on. So I'm challenging you to join me. Easter week, the Passion Week, the, the high week of the Christian celebration, the, the, the death, the resurrection of Christ. We celebrated that week. He came into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, and then he's being crucified Good Friday. He's rising again Easter Sunday. That week, to say, you know what? I'm going to just listen to God. You know, you could watch, like, The Passion of the Christ, <laughs> Ben-Hur, some classic movies, but just turn off all that media stuff. Watch some sermons, watch some cartoons, but just don't listen to all those other messages. Let God speak to you in his word. Read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see the life of Christ in action, how it culminates in the cross and the resurrection. Just let God speak to you afresh. Remember what he's done. Respond to him. Recognize and resolve to do, you know, to, to, to do what is right and, and, and just let him speak. We will listen to him. We'll worship the Lord. We'll serve him. And we'll let him have the final voice in here. So I'm just challenging you. Because the more we listen to this stuff, just the more it drags us down and distracts us from God. Right? I mean, I got people telling me, well, how do you know what's going on in the Ukraine? Well, because, like, the pictures tell you what's going on. I can't give you the political, but for someone to sit in, in the U.S. and say, well, it's not happening, it's just stupid. Quit listening to that garbage. Listen to God. Let him speak to you this Easter. Let him remind you of his faithfulness, of his plan, and how he loves you so much. And then maybe you won't be freaking out about the world. Yeah, you're going to be paying more for gas, probably groceries. Your power bills are going up. But that doesn't mean God's not faithful. It doesn't mean that he stopped loving you or he doesn't care for you. You may have to adjust some patterns in your life and the way you spend money, but God is still faithful. You can still trust him. You still have it better off than 95% of the world here, even with your high power bills and your high gas bills. God is good to you and to me. Let's obey him and let's hear his voice. The team's gonna come up and lead us in a, 
in a closing song. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he invites you into this exclusive relationship with him. You don't add Jesus to what everything else you're doing. You stop what you're doing and you reorient your life to Jesus. It means you die to what you were doing before and you embrace a new life with Jesus. If that's not what you did when you followed Jesus, now, now I'm inviting you to do that. It's not tacking Jesus on to, the, to the, you know, a couple hours in your week. It's saying, no, no, I'm inviting you to be the Lord. God says, will you let me lead you? And the, and the Israelites said, yeah, we'll let you lead. And they followed him and they, they trusted him and they worshiped him. And Jesus invites the same level of loyalty from us today. He said, will you just let me lead you? And we're like, yeah, well, lead us, Jesus. Carry us, Jesus. Help us. There are things in our life that seem impossible. But we know with you nothing is impossible. So lead us through where we are today. Use us in this place, in this time, for your glory. Would you pray with me? Lord, we need you. As we've sung earlier, we, we reaffirm it today. And as the people of Israel did with Joshua's day, we, we say we will worship you. And we will obey you. We will listen to your voice. So speak to us, Lord. Guide us. Tune out the, the messages that, that, that aren't helpful to us and help us just to hear your affirming messages. Your message of hope, of love, and of joy. And so encourage us this day with who you are, what you've done, and with your living word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Anything that we turn to instead of God is a potential idol in your life. Anything that you seek to find significance or security in outside of God is a counterfeit God. God says, I can look after you. You trust me. Now, O oh Lord, will you help us to serve you today? If there are idols that we need to throw aside, reveal those to us that we may worship you wholeheartedly in integrity and in loyalty. Use us, O oh Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. We remember all that you've done and everything that we have comes from you. And now we offer our lives back to you, Lord. Use what you can this week. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said,